This is a sacred space for the open minds, earnest hearts, and growing souls. For we are embarking on an authentic, vulnerable, and unapologetic journey toward holistic wellness and lifelong learning. My name is Annie Wang, and I use storytelling to maximize our collective well-being and put humanity in perspective. Welcome to my podcast. I'm really glad you're here. Welcome back, beautiful humans, or welcome if it's your first time joining us. In this episode of In Perspective, we will uncover the psychology behind our money habits, practice actionable exercises to help us improve our financial well-being, and learn how to make money work for us rather than working for our money. Whether you came up with money, struggled financially all your life, or worked your ass off and became financially independent, there are always lessons to be learned about personal finance that traditional education never taught us. So if that at all sounds interesting, then let's immerse ourselves and put our financial well-being in perspective. As always, we begin with a deep breath in through your nose, and as you open your mouth to exhale, open your mind to see. You walk across the stage wearing the graduation cap and a grin so wide. Your graduate school journey is officially over and the real world awaits, but amidst the celebration, there's a nagging feeling that you just can't shake. You'd think that paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for a respectable education would teach you everything you'd need to know for adulthood, but boy, were you wrong. You may have learned that profit equals revenue minus cost, but somehow you still managed to finish school with negative profit. Apparently, intro to financial management was for managing businesses, not your bank account. So, here you are, face-to-face with a financial puzzle you'd never anticipated. Student loans, credit card debt, and a lack of savings loom on your horizon. Welcome to postgraduate reality. If you resonate with this perspective, you are not alone. Over 60% of college graduates struggle with student loans and financial distress. This daunting situation is one that Stanford MBA alum Jessica Beyer had to overcome. And after learning the behavioral psychology of money, she started Habit Money to help others cultivate healthy financial habits. This unscripted cross-generational conversation with the founder of a financial wellness startup is truly a game changer in your quest for financial empowerment.
All right. So today I'm here with Jess Beyer and we actually met, I guess, on Leland because we're both professional coaches on this startup, which is really cool. And then Jess reached out to me because I shared that I recently started a podcast. And so she shared that she had her own company called Planet Money. But Jess, I can let you take away if you want to share more about yourself and also about the company that you started. Yeah, thanks so much for for having me, Annie. I was very serendipitous when we first met. I'll, I'll zoom out and say, you know, I'm the founder of Habit Money. It's essentially like Noom for personal finance. And so I started this to help people like, a lot of the people who don't love dealing with money actually deal with it. And it's really much more of a wellness journey than it is a financial app. And so when I saw that you had shared in our little Slack community that you, the focus of your podcast was really talking about holistic wellness, I was like, this is exactly the narrative that I want to put around money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just like so excited to to join in and chat with you today and kind of, you know, go back and forth on what wellness means for people and how financial wellness is actually a big piece of it that not a lot of people think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And when I first thought about that, I was like, wow, I actually don't know that much about finance. I think most people, we kind of just live our lives pursuing wealth or like making sure that we have enough money to do the things that we want, but we don't really know too much about it. And we don't learn or take the time to learn all that much. So I'm curious, like what made you want to start Habit Money? And like, what was your inspiration for that? Oh my gosh. Um, how far back do we want to go? So I'll say um, my motivation for this was I when I went to, to Stanford for business school, I knew I wanted to start something. I was like, I'm ready to be an operator and I want to get my hands dirty, but I didn't have a thing. Mm-hmm. And about a year ago, I watched this documentary about women with money. It was called Savvy, Savvy with a dollar sign. Mm-hmm. And it just made me mad because there were so many different ways that, you know, women in particular are sort of disadvantaged with money, whether it's we're not taught about it or, you know, we we make less on the dollar and it was all these different dynamics. And I was like, that's really frustrating. I kind of want to understand why that is and fix that. And so I went on this kind of customer interview journey and didn't just talk to women, basically talk to people and said, Hey, you know, there's all of this information out there. There's what your parents tell us, what we learn in school, you know, what's in the newspaper. There's all these financial apps, you know, where are you in your personal journey and what, what is lacking? And the consistent theme that kept picking up was people just felt really defeated. Like there were definitely the people who were like, oh my God, I love money. I want to talk about it. Like, let me tell you about the spreadsheet I built. And I so admire those people. I was not one of them. I was in the camp over here where I, you know, really didn't get my money in order until I was 30. I graduated grad school. I had 200 grand in student debt. I had credit card debt. I was not saving for retirement. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing in my 20s? And so I was in this camp. And what I realized in these conversations is that we've been trying to solve financial wellness as like an informational problem, where as a society, if we just think we tell you what to do, you will do it. But it's completely missing the fact that money is actually an emotional problem. And so if you don't address the emotional side, 
people are not going to make the healthy choices because there's just so much emotional baggage you have to overcome. And so that's what I wanted to build is something that sort of fills that gap in the space. Wow, that is so inspiring to hear you say that, um, like connecting your financial well-being and your emotional well-being, because then it brings a more holistic overview to what exactly financial well-being is, right? It's not just this one-off thing that you just have to think about what's in your savings account or what's on your credit card bill, but it's like more so how you're feeling about your financial situation and like what you can do to improve that uh, mentally and occupationally, like financially, just so so many different ways that you can improve on that. Um, and you also mentioned a good point about like debt in your 20s, because that's currently something that I'm going through having just graduated college. Um, so now, you know, I'm like writing on financial like student debt and there's like credit card statements and all that. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners are also in that same boat where they're navigating their recent adulthood and just really unsure of like what to do, what are the best ways to improve our lives so that we're making a strong investment into our future. How did you learn finally what's like best for your future in terms of finances? Um, the hard way. <laughs> um, so, so let me kind of take you through my journey and then I can talk you through, you know, if I could do it again and what maybe my advice would be. Mm-hmm. So, and this kind of definitely ties into the emotional stuff. So where I grew up without a lot of money, uh, you know, my, my, I would, I think you would consider us working class. I actually didn't know how little money we made until I was filling out my FAFSA. And mm-hmm. I saw that my dad made 26 grand a year. And I was like, what? We're, we're poor. Like I never felt that, but you know, relative to the average person, we didn't make much. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward to when I was starting my consulting career, um, four year, like four years later, my starting salary was three times what my dad was making when I was 22. And, you know, in there's this actually in behavioral psychology, there's this burgeoning field called financial psychology. And one of the things it talks about is when you graduate financial neighborhoods, you are not equipped to understand how to manage in that neighborhood. And that was exactly what I was going through. You know, my family didn't really talk about money that much. And it's not because, you know, I was a girl or something. That wasn't it. It's just, we didn't have much, you know, we didn't really talk about investing. My family's investment was our family business. And the plan was we'd sell that and that would be my parents' retirement. Um, But then fast forward, I'm making three times that. And I'm supposed to be signing up for a health plan and I'm supposed to sign up for a 401k and maybe there's a match. And I'm someone who went to undergrad and got an economics degree. Like you'd think I'd have some sense of what to do with my money. And I didn't. I actually was very intimidated. I felt really stupid. And so I kind of just drowned out the noise and was like, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to make some decisions and I'll figure it out later. And, you know, it was fine. Everything is always fine. Uh, But then I kept doing that. And so, you know, I didn't really budget. And so I was like, oh, I'll gut check, you know, is my credit card bill too high this month? I'll pay it off. But then when I'm applying to business school, I'm like, I haven't saved for business school. And I get there and everyone else saved a ton of money to pay for it. And I'm taking out loans to finance it. And so it kind of spiraled. And that's when I finally got to the point where I actually hired someone to help me sort it out. 
And this is, you know, the secret is a lot of financial advisors do what habit does. They help you sort through the emotion to help you make good decisions. So I showed up to her and I said, I am freaking out. I have 200 grand of debt. I just graduated. I have to pay this off. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And she was like, okay, clearly you have an emotional thing about the student debt. And like, let's talk about that. And what she helped me realize was, I don't like the feeling of being in debt, but there's different types of debt. And my debt had an average interest rate of like 4% or whatever. And so she was like, you know what? You could go pay all of this off, but if you invest your money at an interest rate that is higher than that, then netting out, it's actually better to put your money over here than to pay all of this debt off at once. And, you know, I don't want to say that is the narrative for everyone, but that was the point is like, she kind of had to help me unpack the emotional piece there to get to like the rational choices. And so as I think about, you know, someone in your position, who's more recently graduated and starting to go through this, I just have such deep empathy because all of a sudden you are confronted with all of these money decisions all at once and you haven't been given the equipment to deal with them and even if you've been given the information you probably have what your parents are telling you and what your professors are telling you and what the internet is telling you and it's just a lot to suss out Mm -hmm. um and so if you think about like the financial wellness piece of it i think one of the biggest things is kind of taking a step back and trying to identify what your money values are. And this is actually something I do with habit a lot. There's obviously, you know, some basic things you should do with your money. You should spend less than you make. You should save some of what you make, you know, some of the basic things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there isn't like a formula of saying, hey, what wealth is in this country is buying a home. What success is, is, um, you know, retiring by 35 or 55 or whatever. Um, It's really helpful, I think, to kind of take a step back and say, what are the things I care about? And what do I want to put my money towards? Because then you stop comparing yourself to everyone else and running your own race. And so what that means for you is, hey, I'm someone who really, like, really values traveling. So when I build my budget, I'm going to build a budget that puts money towards travel because that's something I really value. Whereas mm-hmm. your best friend might say, I am a foodie. I get such joy from experiencing, you know, trying new restaurants. And that's where I'm going to put money. And you guys are making very different value choices. And they're both fine. They're both for you. But there's no like, oh, you should be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that. And I mean, that's just one example of it. But I wish I'd sort of taken that time to kind of say, like, what do I want out of my life? And what do I want my money to do for me um, that I think helps kind of take some of that pressure and that clarity off. Yeah, no, that was so well said. And I can't believe you just said that all in one go. That's um, incredible. But I think my key takeaways from that entering into adulthood first is like, find out, figure out what your values are with money. Like, what do you really care about in your life? And how do you want your money to work for you in that sense? Um, And I guess that also ties into budgeting, which you mentioned a little bit, like creating separate budgets for certain things that you do care about and, and kind of sticking with that budget so that you're not like overspending. And you also mentioned investing at the same time so that you can allow your money to work for you. And so investing is a great way to help you go into that. From an early age, you unwittingly embrace the script of scarcity as money 
was a fleeting guest, a rare visitor that only came to your home after your parents had left for hours. This scarcity mindset became your constant companion, shaping not just your financial choices, but your entire worldview. Even as you grew older and things became more abundant, nothing felt like it was ever enough. There was never enough money, enough time, or enough effort. Maybe that's why you felt the need to overcompensate and underspend all the time. Reflecting openly on your mindset, you realize that this way of thinking prohibits you from doing fun experiences that you really want to do, trying bougie food that you really want to try, and taking risky opportunities that you really want to take. But at least now, you recognize it. The limiting belief that's been holding you back your entire life. And that's already half the battle. Now the other half is unlearning that narrative and reclaiming control of your psychology. Um, you mentioned you grew up like in a working class family. And I think for me, I also am in a similar position where I was born in China and my family immigrated to the United States. And then coming here, uh, you know, they basically gave up their entire life savings, like had to completely restart. And so it was just starting from scratch, almost coming to America. But now I get the opportunity to also have a consulting job where I'm making six figures. And it's just like so incredible like because of all their hard work and like investment that I'm able to get into a position where I am today. And another distinction, which I found interesting is that you mentioned that you guys don't really talk about money in your childhood. But I think for me and my family, like money is something that we've always had open conversations about. My parents would always tell me like, don't be spending all that money. You know, we work so hard for money, um, like don't waste any food. And it was just like always on my, on the, in the back of my mind that like, wow, money is very limited. And so I have to be frugal. I have to do as much as I can in order to uh, conserve money so that we can live a better life. And I think that's affected me a lot. Even to this day, even though I'm like making money and I have means, it's still that frugality that is like constantly part of me and I'm scared of spending money almost. And so I think that's something that I don't know if it's like a bad thing because I think it can be good because it allows me to like, you know, not be in constant debt. But I do think it is limiting belief that I don't want to control my life, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just, your self-reflection there, I just think is so incredibly powerful because what you essentially just did is identified, you know, again, there's these, all these little psychological terms, but you kind of just described like a, a formative belief. The thing is, is whether or not your parents talk to you about money, you develop some internal narratives or scripts around money. And so yours is saving is better than spending. You never know when you're going to go without. So frugality is key. And I thought what was really eloquent about what you just said is that like there's some good truth to that. There's a good lesson, but there's also an extreme you can take that to where you deprive yourself mm-hmm. um, of things. And at the end of the day, you make money so you can do the things that you want. Mm-hmm. And so I think 
that is like a great example of something that is an emotional thing that's tied up with money and just having an awareness of it is really, really powerful. Like you said, I don't know if I need to do anything with that, but just knowing that that is an emotional trigger is really, really critical. And I think that's like a lot of what I call about my product is when people have to do um, a money mindfulness moment every day. It's exactly that. It's just giving yourself some time to build some awareness. And what is happening in your brain is you are like giving the rational brain time to catch up to the emotional brain. And Mm -hmm. so it allows you to say, okay, this is the emotion I'm feeling and I'm going to sit with that and I hear you, but also this is like the rational choice for me. And so for you, that might be, you know, I saw, I was obviously stalking you on Instagram and I saw like one of the big things is, you know, going to concerts, going to raves. And so that's clearly like a value for you. Mm -hmm. And so you might be sitting there looking at like tickets for an experience. And that part of your brain might be saying, oh my gosh, Annie, like we, we should not be doing this. This is so, you know, excessive. Like, you know, our parents would never pay for this. Mm -hmm. And by kind of pausing and saying, okay, but one, can I afford this? Two, is this going to put me in dire straits? Like three, is this something I really, really value? Then if the answer to all of those things from the rational side of your brain is yes, then then you should do it. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. I think that's a very tangible way to go about thinking whether or not you want to and you can like have the resources and the means to spend your money in certain things. And I think one of the major things that people do spend money on are like clothing, food, drinks, you know, like consumptions, probably like rent. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely important to like budget and like understand what is enough, what is like needed and what is excessive. I love that you said that because I think when people hear budgeting, it sounds restrictive. It sucks, you know, to have someone say you can't buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I really like this values-based methodology because it is self-driven. Mm-hmm. You know, you are making a choice around what you want to afford. And so it's not, I can't afford this. It's I'm choosing not to. And maybe you are choosing to afford something, but it is conscious. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the moment you are making those choices and it's like the difference of when you're in a vacuum and you're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm making this transaction and not thinking about how those things add up. And so That's why what I do with habit is literally you just look at what you spend every day. And I know that sounds like really gross and horrible, but Mm -hmm. it's honestly very similar to people who are doing nutrition tracking. And that's why I always compare it to Noom, because if you bring awareness to what you do every day, and this is mindfulness, you will naturally make better, healthier decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, Like people who track their calories every day, people who weigh themselves every day will naturally lose weight. Because what they start doing is they are noticing and paying attention to what they're consuming. It is very choiceful. And it's the same thing with money. I'm not here saying stop going out and buying lattes. And I'm not saying to stop doing that. But I actually started doing that. I was like paying attention to how much coffee I was buying every day. And I spent $300 just buying myself coffee last month. And I was like, I love coffee, but what am I getting out of that experience? And what I realized was what I was getting out of it was just getting out of my house. I just wanted to go for a walk. And I was like, well, I could just make coffee and go for a walk. And so what I realized for me is I didn't really value the coffee. I was trying to get something else out of it. 
And so, I mean, I just, I think that's like the kind of thought process I really encourage people to go through and why I think like the money mindfulness is just so powerful. And so I feel like I've kind of gone off a tangent off of your original question, but I just, I I so strongly like want to reframe what budgeting means because I think everyone's like, I don't want to do it because it feels bad. And I actually think it can be really empowering. And when it feels really empowering, you don't have to be the person who get stressed when you look at your credit card bill. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the example you made is actually really insightful too in like how you can be more mindful and control your thoughts and your emotions around the things that you're spending on. You can choose to see it more so as, you know, like I'm going to be smart about how I'm spending rather than doing what I want to do because I have the money to do it. Because I think one important thing that people don't realize is that you could be making, you know, 100k, 200k, but if you're spending like 150 to, you know, 180k every single year, then you're basically not netting any income. So, it's really important to like balance and understand and make smart decisions based on how much money you're making and how much you're like spending as well. A hundred percent. One of the kind of psychological things that happens a lot with people when you think about overspending is when you feel out of control as a human, you want to make choices that make you feel like you're back in control. And for me, when I was in consulting, I had no time, you know, I was on the road all the time. And what I loved more than anything was to get mail And so I would online shop like crazy because it was so fun to come home and like have packages. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was that overspending was an impulsive emotional choice. And as I reflect on it now, what I was doing was exhibiting behavior to take control over my life because I wasn't happy. Um, And for the record, it wasn't consulting's fault. It was other things. But like, this is just something I was doing to sort of cope. I didn't really know what I was doing or what I wanted to do. I was just kind of existing day to day. And that overspending was an impulse thing. Whereas compare that to now where I'm at is I'm very clear on a mission and I am not doing impulse spending because I'm aware of it, but I've also come up with coping mechanisms to deal with that emotional reaction. But the first step was realizing that that was an emotional reaction. But it goes back to like that question you ask yourself is like when you get the package in the mail or you get that thing from Amazon, does it actually bring you joy? Was it actually worth the X dollars that you spent on it? And if the opportunity cost was you could have put that money into savings, if that's money you could have put into the market that would have gotten you closer to that other thing, like Mm -hmm. ask yourself if you have a little bit of a regretsy moment. And then that's a good lesson for the next time. Yeah. Okay. I love the fact that you brought up opportunity cost because I think that's something so real that like a lot of people don't see because it's not a tangible spend that you can place. But when you're thinking about opportunity cost, it's like when I buy a cup of coffee from Starbucks every single day for like maybe five days a week, that's maybe $25 in a week. But then that $25, I can also invest towards a course or something that invests into my knowledge and furthering my intelligence. That's like $25 as well. 
a week versus, you know, something that I consume and it's down the drain. And I could maybe just instead make a cup of coffee at home. So it's like thinking about how else can you spend that money? Like in what other ways can that money work for you? And what are the opportunity costs associated with that X amount of dollars? Yeah, I love that. I think it's really cool to understand how your brain works because I think there's a lot of shame and guilt around money. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I think we have sometimes these narratives of like, I'm bad with money. I will never be better with it. And the reality is like, no, your brain is literally wired to be bad with this. And I'll tell you why. As early humans, our brain developed to get short-term tangible results. I'm hungry. I want to eat. I, I want to procreate to keep this PG. You know, it's like, I have an urge. I'm going to satisfy that urge. Mm-hmm. We had been able to withstand instant gratification. We probably would have starved because if you stumbled upon a fig tree as an early human and you're like, I'm just going to have a couple and then I'll save them for later. Somebody else was going to come eat the rest of the fig tree and you're going to be hungry. So the point is, it's like we were developed to be like this. And what is more long-term and intangible than saving for a future goal? It's so arbitrary. And so it is very natural that in the moment, if you see Starbucks, you want a coffee. Let's also call out that marketers understand this. And this is not a diss on marketers. They're just taking the lessons of behavioral psychology and applying them. Mm -hmm. Shopping online is designed to take advantage of an emotional response. Marketing is designed for an emotional response. When you see Starbucks, you instantly have a, a Pavlovian response in your head and the idea about having a warm coffee. You know, like it is natural that that is pulling on you. And so what I think what you said is really powerful is if you start understanding opportunity costs, you are taking control back from all of the different forces in the world that are trying to convince you to consume, to buy, to purchase. Like there's so much coming at you. And if you can kind of create your little like mindfulness awareness shield around yourself, you can kind of protect yourself from all of these forces coming at you. As you venture into adulthood, your outlook on money begins to shift. You start to realize that you have to be responsible with your money if you want to live a life that you create. And that's because money is a tool that can offer flexibility. But this flexibility is rooted in a foundation of responsibility. By evaluating your personal financial values and gaining a sense of mindfulness with every transaction, you begin to learn how you can use your money today to pay yourself tomorrow. You know, I I stole this from a friend, but it's advice I give everyone now. And it's the concept of pay yourself first. Mm. Um, And the reason why I like this pay yourself first mentality is what my friend is always saying is I'm investing in my future self. When I get my paycheck, the first thing I do is I put money in the accounts that are aligned with my goals. It's like prioritization. I think of my values and that is the order in which I put my money. So it's like my value is buying a house. The first thing I'm doing is putting my money in there. My second value is, you know, paying off this debt. My third one, it's she's got her values and she's paying herself first. 
And it's such an empowering thing. And then whatever she's got left is what she has for her budget for the rest of the month. And she doesn't have to worry about like, ooh, am I saving enough? Like, no, I paid myself first. Yeah, that's actually really helpful. And I think such an actionable thing that people can implement into their lives today. When you first get your paycheck, you can think about, okay, what is the first value that I have, the first priority that I want that money to work for and brainstorm a list, numerate it based on your priorities. And then whatever's left over, that can be a miscellaneous spend that you wouldn't have to feel guilty about. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah. And another thing that I really liked what you said when you brought up that awareness acts like a shield, because it really does when you have a sense of awareness around not only yourself, but like your environment, your financial situation, your wellness in totality, then you can kind of see all around, understand what your body really needs, what your soul, your mind really needs, and put a stop on things that kind of are just like temptations in a sense, because I think human beings really like to consume and that's okay. Like I like to consume, we all like to consume, but sometimes you just have to understand when you should cap your consumption, um, not only because it's unnecessary for yourself, but even for the environment, um, especially with like fast fashion and stuff like that. It's so harmful to the environment and people just act on that impulse of like, okay, I want to buy this. I want to buy this because it's cheap. But then you don't really see how much like negative externalities are happening based on your actions. Yeah. I mean, it's so... It's so full cycle slash full circle. Mm-hmm. And I honestly just came up with this concept of the the shield, but I'm going to keep going with it because this is work that if you, if you do it in one area of your life, it will have positive externalities in other areas of your life. And, you know, I was listening to your episode the other day around, you know, getting into power lifting. And it really resonated with me because there are just so many parallels with the money stuff. And it's around, you know, like really listening to your body and determining what is good for you and realizing that it's fine to get advice. It's fine to sort of see, you know, what everyone else is doing. But at the end of the day, it's like you have to do what is good for you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, when they start, doing kind of the mindfulness with habit also talk about how they feel confidence and clarity in other aspects of their lives and having clarity around your values and your use of money is so empowering when you are coupling Mm -hmm. because if you don't if you don't know how to talk about it like other than infidelity money is the number one reason why relationships end and it's because people don't know how to talk about it But when people have gotten clarity around their values, they're also getting clarity in all of the other things in their lives because the way they spend their money and they save their money is literally how they live their lives every day. And so it is very much an expression of your values. And so when you're kind of partnering or you're choosing friends or whatever it is, there is a a magnetism to that. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, that kind of magnetism, because there's a quote that goes, you are the sum of the five closest people to you. And what that means, at least how I interpret it, is that you attract people that are similar to you. So I guess 
how you can like level up your life or like if you don't like the company that you're surrounding in, maybe look internally and like how can you change certain things in your life and attract different types of people that you do want to become more like. Um, so I think in life, that's, uh, even in money too, like if you're constantly surrounding yourself with people that do give into those, um, like immediate gratifications and like love doing all these experiences and stuff rather than like investing their money towards other areas, then you're probably going to be spending a lot of money in the similar ways, just like the people around you. So it's important to like, also look at your social communities and your environment and, see that, you know, are these people like, are their values similar to mine? Um, If not, then, you know, maybe it's time to reassess like how you're surrounding yourself with other people too. Yeah. There's this, a phrase I heard the other day is that there are seasons to life. Mm -hmm. And that means that sometimes relationships ebb and flow and you can grow closer and you can go further. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or anything wrong with the other person. But whenever you read about people who are going through a personal transformation, oftentimes they talk about how they end up building kind of a new community. What they're realizing is they're changing as people. And so they're naturally starting to spend more time with people who have those things in common. And again, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with these people over here. It's just there's seasons to life and it's okay if people grow apart and grow back together. And I think what you had just said about, you know, if you're not happy and you're trying to figure out how to get on a better path, a really good signal is if you don't feel empowered to carve your path and the people around you don't support you. So my example with money is, you know, I'm again, I am hyper budgeting. And so I feel like I'm living an extreme version of life that maybe everyone else is not, but I'm really thoughtful about when I go out for meals Mm -hmm. and I am someone who always says yes to things. If someone invites me out, I say yes. And this change I've gone through is now when people do it, I say, I'd love to see you, but that place is a little pricey or instead, you know, basically saying I can't afford it used to feel really gross. And now I actually am fine saying it. And my good friends are like, totally. But if there is someone who's sort of like, seriously, Annie, like you don't want to go do this. Mm -hmm. That's a good data point to just kind of store away because when you are trying to achieve your goals, you want to be surrounded by people who maybe they don't have the same values as you, but you want to make sure that you're surrounded by people who support you in that journey. Okay. Wow. That is such powerful like messages and like facts that we're speaking. So I think that is like a really good full circle moment and connecting your different areas of wellness. So financial well-being doesn't just mean your bank account or your debt or your savings. It's everything from your emotional wellness to your uh, social wellness to your environmental well-being. Like all of these things are interconnected. And I truly believe that if you have the awareness and develop awareness, um, be more mindful of just where you're putting your money and like what habits you're focusing on, then you'll be able to live a much more sustainable, healthy lifestyle. Um, So just kind of wrapping up now, are there any financial well-being things that you would want to say? Yeah, totally. I think that a couple of things I always really like to reinforce is one, there's no right way to do this. 
Mm-hmm. Again, obviously there are some basic principles of financial wellness, but the journey you take to get there is really your own. And so I really encourage people to to go on their own path and kind of put on blinders to everyone else, not saying that you shouldn't seek advice or you shouldn't Google things, but you know, really follow your own follow your own path at, because the worst thing you can do is compare yourself to someone else. And then you're always just going to feel like crap. <laughs> um, so I think that's a big one is there's more than one way to win. Mm-hmm. And related to that is progress over perfection. You're going to buy the donut. You're going to buy the thing that you regret. You're going to splurge at some point. Like it's, it's okay. We're humans. And unless you want to live the same day, every day, every month for the rest of your life, your budget is going to evolve. And I think what happens with a lot of people is they make a plan, they break their plan, and then they think they're a failure and they throw their hands up and they say, this isn't working for me. This is work. This is an evolution and it takes intentionality. What you are doing is as you're building awareness, you're realizing that like where you think your money is going is very different than it's actually going. And so it's about aligning it. And it is so critical to just every time you fall to dust yourself off and get back on the horse. Like the most important thing is to just keep going. You don't need to be perfect. You just have to keep evolving. Hey, you made it to the end. Well, that was actually my first time speaking with Jess, and I genuinely enjoyed our conversation so much. It's pretty obvious that Jess is very knowledgeable and passionate, so I learned quite a lot from her, and hopefully you did too. But just to summarize the episode, these are some, but not all, the ways of optimizing your finances. One, you can create budgets based on your top priorities or money values. Two, investing your money has the power of compound growth, which is quintessential for long-term rewards. Three, adulting with debt is so real. That's why it's important to be conscious of your spending habits. And to help you do that, you can sign up for Habit Money, your free personal finance trainer that sends text messages straight to your phone. And no, this episode was not sponsored, but I really do believe in the mission of Habit. So if you're struggling with your financial wellness, it would definitely help to understand the emotional attachment behind your money problems. And Habit can help you do that. So beautiful humans, once again, my name is Annie Wang. And if we keep our head up, we can get our bread up. So let's put that in perspective. (laughs) 